Flush the bombers, get the subs in launch mode. We are at DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1. Right here in Cincinnati. Welcome to glorious Cincinnati, Queen of Ohio's Alpine Ski Resorts. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I Cincinnati, the best town in Ohio, USA. At first they called it Cincy, but since Cincy is so natty, they named it Cincinnati, so they say. Hey, the girls are pretty, pretty in this gritty little city. Welcome to the Hunt for Reds October podcast. I'm your host, Coop, and tonight we've got a special mega cast of the Reds podcast nation and sports talk. That didn't come out as well as I thought it was, but hey, here we go. So first up tonight, have Chad Dunn. How are you tonight? Fantastic. Great to be here with you, everybody. Great to have you. We also have from... From 1530 in Cincinnati, the host of the Mo Egger Show. Mo Egger! Ah, uh, wonderful. What's going on? It's nice to be here. It's great. And it's good to be here. Glad to talk Red Space. Yeah. We, al- we also have the host of the Red Reporter podcast, Wick Terrell, is with us. Wick, how are you tonight? I'm good, guys. I'm I'm getting a chance to hop back on the Hunt for Reds uh, on podcast where the beer flows like wine and beautiful Reds bloggers flock like the salmon of Capistrano. So I'm uh, quite excited for tonight. I was with you until the beautiful people part. <laughs> <laughs> because, anyway. We also have the host of the Reds Alert podcast, Stephen Offenbaker, coming to us from Hawaii. How are you tonight? Aloha. I am doing great. It is 75 and sunny with warm trade winds blowing. It's like it's like 2 a.m. on Wednesday there, right? <laughs> it is No, it is 4 p.m. <laughs> on Monday, I think. Yep, we're recording on Monday. Hey, thanks for jumping on what, it, what is night for us in, you know, middle. Yeah, no problem. Also, the host of the Locked On Reds podcast, Jeff Carr is with us. Jeff, how are you this fine evening? I am very honored to be among some uh, very awesome people, and uh, also Steve. How you doing? <laughs> I, I thought you were going to do that to me, not Steve, but it's what you get for living in Hawaii. I mean, that's just what I'm saying. So, the World Series of the Los Angeles Dodgers is the 2020 World Champions. Personally, I'm not going to put an asterisk on that because everybody played the same amount of games. No asterisk for me. Anyway, the Reds were summarily eliminated by the Atlanta Braves with a just pathetic offensive output. But I want to look at the season as a whole. 
the Reds' goal was to make the playoffs, which they did, even if it's expanded. Thoughts on what the Reds accomplished this year and what that means moving forward. And let's start with you, Chad. Well, did they accomplish anything? I mean, you said you wanted to uh, just look at the season as a whole, and I would really prefer to limit this discussion just to the last 10 days or so of the regular season. <laughs> <laughs> if we can stick to that, we can stay positive, uh, you know, because the rest of the season was a mess, it was a, and I'm not sure we learned anything. Um, I wish I had more for you. You're looking at me for an hour for you. It was a, I'm not sure what we learned uh, this year, and I'm. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a lost year for everyone for many reasons, but... Uh, that's all I got. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree that the season as a whole for everyone was so out of whack because of COVID-19 and a 60 game schedule, the playoffs, other than the reds, the playoffs were actually pretty good. I thought Mo, your thoughts on the reds 2020 and what is about the future? You, you know, I, I, that if we're sitting here a year from now talking about, you know, the, the Reds made a deep postseason run, they had this great 2021, I think we can look back at 2020 as, you know, sort of a natural jumping off point. That's that's the year that they made the leap to, all right, now they're a postseason team, and then, okay, fine, they, in order to quantify 2020 as a success, they went and had a bad one. But I, I think things are so weird in baseball right now that, it's it's almost impossible, I think, to successfully forecast what th- things are going to be like in this sport three months from now, much less 12 months from now. So I've, I've sort of just looked at 2020 from a, you know, in a vacuum. Um, seven miserable weeks, two really fun weeks in Atlanta. I don't know that we learned anything. They were a really lazy way to do this, but. I thought before the season started that they were going to win somewhere between 83 games. I think if you took 39 and extrapolated that over 162 games, that that's about 83 wins. So that's kind of what most of us thought that they were going to be. Um, I walked away from the playoffs feeling really unfulfilled. I, I wrote um, I wrote a piece basically calling it a waste, and that sounds harsh. But I just as 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 cool as it was that they made the postseason. Frankly, you know, uh, about 27 hours before the first pitch was thrown, we find out we're going to have expanded postseason. So they they were sort of given a life raft by Major League Baseball in order to make the playoffs. The 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 way they lost was so disheartening and so frustrating that it was it it really sort of. I don't want to say it obscured what they did over the last two weeks, but it, it just it left a really bad taste in my mouth on top of the fact that I just think it's it's really hard to sort of look ahead to the next, you know, three, four, five months and, and really get a clear, clear sense of of what they're able to do. Um, that's a long winded answer that probably didn't give it give you. I, I that wasn't a very fun year and, and maybe it was. The climate we're in, not being able to go to baseball games, the Tom Brennan thing. I didn't enjoy it, and I don't get the sense most fans enjoyed it until those last couple of weeks, and then it was an, almost entirely undone by 22 innings of offensive futility. No, I agree, and especially the part about uh, not being satisfied, much like his wife. Shout out to Phil. Um, but, <laughs> um, no, I agree that it just – those last two games in Atlanta just – I think you said it perfectly, just left a bad taste in your mouth moving forward that 
if they had even shown signs, of, even if they had lost the two games, but it had been competitive, I think people would have been more optimistic going into the offseason, even with how weird it's going to be. But just that pathetic offensive performance just just stuck in the crawl of so many people. Wick, give me your 2020. Yeah, um, objectively, they played 62 games and they won 31 and they lost 31. And, um, you know, I think that's in the end, your record is what it what you were. And I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. The last few games and few weeks were so much better than they were to start. Um, but that kind of came as Mo mentioned, once they found out that there were going to be expanded playoffs, they even had a chance to, to keep winning four going forward. Um, I think the biggest thing about this season was uh, it showed the Reds had the ability, both financially and creatively, creatively, there we go, um, to be ambitious. Uh, and they were ambitious. They spent $164 million in free agency, which is something they have never done before. Uh, they showed us that they had the, the the capital and the wherewithal to do that. I just don't know if they know what they're doing, you know? And that's the biggest aspect I think I take away from that. And there's a part of it that obviously is that the 2020 season was so much different than what every baseball season is designed to be. And I'm not sure, and this, this might come off as kind of a homeristic uh, take, but... We're all Reds bloggers, so what the heck? Um, I'm not sure there was a team in baseball that needed the seven-month grind of a usual baseball season more than the 2020 Reds did. In part, I mean, you know, there's new faces in every single clubhouse across the sport every single year. That's just how this works. But the Reds finally invested in new cornerstone pieces, guys like Moustakas, guys like Castellanos, uh, guys like Wade Miley and Shogo, that – didn't know each other that had never been together before, but were supposed to not just be fringe guys. Those are core guys and that they never got a chance to really have that typical baseball season experience to kind of settle in as we're supposed to be the leaders. How is this all going to work? Who's supposed to speak up and take charge? Um, that never got settled. And it just really looked like it was sort of a disjointed roster for most of the season. Um, you know, the hope is since so many of these guys are signed beyond this year, uh, what we saw down the stretch when they started clicking and playing well is them getting to that point, and hopefully that would have happened in 60 games in a 162-game season, and the final 100 games would have been a lot better. Uh, we won't know until next year, and who knows what next season is going to look like, so maybe we'll never know. Uh, but for me, it just looked like a bunch of cobbled-together parts that never really settled in well enough, um, and that's on a front office that brought them all together and spent a lot of money in the process to do so. So, uh it was disappointing, I think. Um, it was fun. Uh, baseball provided them the opportunity to make it fun with the expanded playoffs. Uh, but it crashed and burned, and they won and lost the same number of games. And I think that's kind of where this team should be looked at in the, the grand scheme of the 30, 30 baseball teams that played in 2020. Steve, give me your thoughts on 2020 Reds, how, how it made you feel, how it makes you feel going forward. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, and I know Wick wants to take the the playoff record and, and incorporate it into what the Reds did this season. But I think that uh, if we're talking about what they accomplished in 2020, I think they did accomplish a couple things. Uh, at least some things that we can look at and hope that becomes building blocks for the 2021 season. Uh, the first thing that I want to talk about, you have to go all the way back to last offseason, which feels like an eternity ago. But... They really did, the Reds front office that is, really did finish putting the infrastructure in place to complete the modernization of uh, how they do things. 
they they brought in the Kyle Bodies and they brought in the people to really run this organization the same way from top to bottom, from rookie ball all the way up to the major league club. Now, because of the shutdown and the way that it happened to play out this year, uh, those pieces weren't completely put into place and we haven't begun to see the impacts of that. Uh, but they did make a, a notable step in that direction. The second part of that is you know they they became a above 500 regular season club whether that's 60 games 80 games 162 games they won more than they lost in the regular season now i know the playoffs were a a crippling disappointment for everybody uh, including myself but you take those two pieces those two positives and just hope that they go into this offseason that's going to be unlike any other offseason i think we've ever seen just in the amount of players big name marquee guys uh, players of real value hitting the market because teams are trying to cut 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 uh it, this the reds have an opportunity and 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 i know you'll get to it eventually with dotson but he wrote a great piece about uh the reds being buyers right now and i think that i think he was on to something so that that's where i would sit with the 2020 reds i think they put some building blocks in place and hopefully uh nick craw has the ability to uh, get them to the finish line i see you buttering up chad over there but um with those playoff games they started at like 6 a.m for you or something right it was pretty early. I was setting <laughs> alarms and, and making sure the coffee pot was running. That's true. You're fine. You're in Hawaii. Jeff, give us your <laughs> thoughts on... I think when we look at this season, we've got as many answers as we have unanswered questions. And that's kind of unfortunate because when we came into 2020, the expectations were super high. I know I was a little bit high on my win projection, but... Overall, I thought that as fun as the season was for about 20 seconds, it was as much of a root canal as it was fun. And we entered the season wondering what we were going to get out of the future of the Reds, deemed Nick Senzel. We still don't know what we're getting out of him. We still don't know where the runs are coming from because for every hit that Nick Castellanos got, it felt like he struck out twice as much. And for every home run that Joey Votto hit, it felt like he also struck out a whole lot as well. So it's not necessarily the best analysis there. But when you look at the way that the team performed over the entire season, it was like took them forever to get going. They finally get going. They build up to a climactic point and then leave us hanging for an entire year. I don't I don't know what that really reminds me of. It's something, but uh, something else with Phil probably. So uh, <laughs> so we look at this off season and especially with Dick Williams stepping down, it's a huge fork in the road moment, something that they've got to get right. If they miss, if they swing and they miss, or if they don't know what the target is, kind of like we're all a little bit worried about, then this could derail all of our hopes that we had coming into 2020. I think they've got the talent. It's just it makes you wonder if they're going to put two and two together. Jeff, that was a great segue to the next segment, which I mean, it's like you host a podcast or something. Um, something like that. The offseason. Now, you, you mentioned it with Dick Williams. There's going to be a change in the overall I don't, want, I don't want to say philosophy, but a change in how the front office goes about the offseason. And you also have to figure that these teams lost billions of dollars, if you, if you believe them. They lost billions of dollars this year. A lot of players that normally would have had their contracts picked up were set free already. Free agency is going to be 
very weird and unprecedented almost. So let's start with Wick on this one. Wick, the off season, do you, how do you see it playing out just with the sheer unknown of what is, what is the Reds financial limitations? What can they do? What can't they do? And baseball as a whole, what are we going to see? I honestly think we're going to see 30 teams wait till the absolute last possible moment to make any decision whatsoever. Um, I think what you saw with all the options being declined earlier this week was a lot of guys that are going to get potentially more money guaranteed to them in the 2021 season than what their options suggested they were right now. Teams just don't want to be on the hook for anything right now unless they absolutely have to. Um, and what that means is what? There's a lot both uh, you know, global politics-wise, uh, pandemic-wise, finance-wise, um, collective bargaining agreement-wise. There's a whole lot that's going into what the 2021 season is going to entail. Um, on top of that, you've got teams that are shrinking rosters from 28 guys down to 26 guys which doesn't seem like a lot on, on the surface, but you look at what the Reds added at the deadline. They went out and got Archie Bradley and uh, Brian Goodwin, who were slated to make almost $10 million combined this year. If you didn't have 28 guys on your roster, would the Reds have made that move last year, much less for this year? Uh, teams are factoring that in. As we currently stand, there's no designated hitter for the 2021 season for National League clubs as well. Uh, Dick Williams went on record last year saying, somewhat surprisingly after uh, the season got postponed and they implemented the designated hitter that this club was quote unquote designed to have a designated hitter in place. Um, if that doesn't come back for the season, which owners might not say yes to, because that's one additional spot they'd have to pay for. Uh, I think teams are going to do everything they can to kick the can down the road as far as possible and not make those decisions until February or March until in theory, there's a lot more, known quantities out there because there's just so much unknown right now uh the problem from the player perspective is all these non-option pickups and all the non-tenders we're going to see happen after the fact it's going to flood the free agency market so that there's so many players out there uh that the middle market of free agency is really going to get squeezed you know guys like trevor bauer george springer as we saw with the mookie Betts extension from the dodgers earlier this summer the dodgers know what's coming financially they all saw it uh, they spent $300 plus million to keep a superstar. The superstars are going to get paid this winter. Uh, but if you're not one of those guys, teams are going to be very, very hesitant to commit anything until they absolutely have to. And it's going to make for a very, very awkward winter. Uh, I think the Reds are absolutely part of that, too. Um, I think they've got somewhere, uh, you know, depending on what happens with Nick Castellanos this time, Next winter, they might have upwards of $45 million coming off the books if they don't make any moves for the 2021 season. So they can, you know, conceivably put a little bit more money into a 2021 club, knowing that worst case scenario, they're getting all that money off the books a year from now. Uh, but that's a little bit further into the future than I think most clubs are willing to look right now. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tantalizing to watch which team kind of blinks first, I think, is the best way to describe it, because uh, kind of what Chad alluded to in his article, um, if you want to be buyers right now, it's a buyer's market. Uh, and I think the Reds are in a position, much like a lot of other clubs, uh, to be aggressive into that if they're bold enough to do so. I just don't know if they're going to be bold enough to be that way. I think it, you know, I agree with you <clears throat> that it's a buyer's market. And I think a lot of players who got qualifying orders 
otters. Qualifying offers are going to accept them outside of Trevor Bauer just because $18 million in a year when free agency is going to be through the floor and then hopefully next year there's a rebound. Yeah, I think a lot of guys are going to do the one-year routes sort of like what Marcelo Zuna did, the you know kind of prove-it deal. He proved it. Now it's a terrible time to be a free agent, but notwithstanding. I think I think that a lot of qualifying offers are going to be accepted. I, I think of like Kevin Gosman with the Giants. I could see him accepting his qualifying offer, hoping that in 2021's offseason he can look at a 25 to 30 million dollar a year contract because he's I mean he's pretty good. Uh, let's move on to Mo. Oh, <laughs> what uh, what are your thoughts on the offseason and what can or can't the Reds do? knowing the weirdness that we just finished. I think there's a difference between what they can and can't do financially and what they can and can't do and get away with, get away with it with their fans. Um, if that makes sense, which coming from me, it, it, it probably does not. I, I mean, I, I certainly agree that, this is an off season that's that's going to feel a lot like the last couple where there's not a lot that happens because how do you not wait it out? Um, we don't know if fans are going to be allowed in the stands across Major League Baseball. We don't know how many playoff teams there's going to be. We we don't know for sure what what the rules are going to be. We don't know are are, are we going to have a DH in the National League? I I don't think so, but it wouldn't surprise me if we did. I mean there there's how you build a team right now, and then you add to it all the the economic uncertainties, and then the, the hit that every team took. I get fatigued with hearing baseball owners cry and complain about how much money they're not making, but certainly they all lost money this year. I think for the Reds, that estimate's going to be between, I'd say, 60 and $80 million. Um, so I, 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 it certainly wouldn't surprise me if, if there's a flurry of moves as teams, you know, all right, we have a better understanding of, of what we can sell, where we are financially, um, how we can make money in ways that don't necessarily involve fans coming to stadiums. All that stuff gets sorted out late in the game. But from a Reds perspective specifically, I guess there's two thoughts I have. Number one, what they did with quote unquote restructuring the front office may end up yielding great results. Um, I certainly understand, you know, Nick crawl has been with the organization for a long time. His fingerprints are on some of the recent successes they've had. Um, He's a smart dude. I understand all that, but it, it reeks of cost cutting. It reeks of taking the cheapest, cheapest option. Um, we had uh, two people serving in separate capacities, and now somebody who's been serving underneath the guy who held one of those jobs is going to do both. Uh, okay, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily feel like they went on this massive search to find the best in the world at what they do to run the baseball operations for the Cincinnati Reds. That's no knock on Nick. It just it feels to me like, if you're really going to go get the best, you're willing to pay the best and just saying, well, you know what? Nick's going to do both jobs for the time being. And that, that doesn't seem like that. And I wonder who that draws a paycheck from the organization is going to be a little bit more hands-on when it comes to, to baseball operations. Are, are you going to start to hear the name Walt Jockety again? Are you going to start to hear the name Phil Castellini uh, when it's, when it, when it comes to somebody starting to speak about baseball things instead of, Hey, here's the latest bobblehead we're selling. I, I'm not saying those things are going to happen. I wonder if they will, because just what they did in the front office to me is 
weird. It's odd. It's strange. Maybe not necessarily bad, but it doesn't seem to me like they went on this exhaustive search to find the best people in the world to run their baseball operations. And then, you know, the whole thing about what they can and can't afford to do with their fans, pandemic or not, uh, um, I, I think most folks went into last offseason or at least during during last offseason, thinking, okay, you know what? The Reds have a shot. 2020, 2021, 2022. In that time frame, right? You're going to have Luis Castillo, team control. You're going to have Sonny Gray, team control. Lots of dudes who are, are here now are going to be here for a while. Nick Senzel at some point is going to play himself into being a regular. And maybe you're not going to be quite good enough in 2020, but you're going to bring back that core group of guys and then build upon it. Or, you know, have have other guys who are have been with the organization, say again, like a Nick Senzel or a Hunter Green or guys like that who get added to this established core. And all that is going to add up to at some point over the next three years, this team has a shot to go and win the World Series. Well. Now, if you say, yeah, uh, look, <laughs> that, that was our plan, but we can't do that because we can't afford it, um, that's going to be unacceptable for a lot of people. It, it may make all the fiscal sense in the world to not add payroll, to shed payroll if they can, which obviously they have a lot of guys who are on the books, and, and maybe that's re really what they want to do. I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams. Like the Pittsburgh Pirates picked the perfect time to rebuild, right? No fans can come. Well, they're not going to come anyway, so let's gut this thing and, and start from scratch. It's a good time to rebuild. It's a bad time to spend 160 whatever it was million dollars in free agency. It's a bad time to have all these guys that you're stuck with that you didn't win with this year. So, uh, you know, now now can, can you really afford financially to, to take what you have and spend the resources to get this thing over the top? As fans, we all want that. Fiscally, I'm not sure it makes sense for them to do that. But if 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 they decide we're gonna we're gonna start from scratch, we're not gonna put money back into the team, we're gonna hit the 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 eject button on what we're doing right now, and we're gonna trend toward a rebuild, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna put off a lot of people. You're 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 gonna take folks who have already lost their patience and exhausted whatever amount of patience they already had, and now you're gonna tell them they have to wait even longer. I I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that. So I think they're in a really, really tough spot. They certainly bring back a team that I think has a chance to compete. And if the Cubs and Cardinals sit out this offseason, which their owners kind of said they wanted to do anyway before last season started, before the pandemic, then maybe they have a chance to get back to the playoffs. But if the idea was to build upon what they did in 2020 and go and win the World Series in 2021 – I don't know financially how they do that. At the same time, I don't know how they, they keep people's attention if they decide, you know what, we're not going to do what we need to do to, to make and field a better team in 2021. Is everybody still awake? Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. I, 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 I started to nod off during that. So I, I would imagine no, the no. rest of you got bored as well. No, I no, think... not just the uh, to... go ahead. Sorry, no, go ahead for a sec. Coop. But uh, what popped in my head when you were saying that was when, the NBA put in the amnesty clause a couple of years ago because finances got so bad and there were so many bloated contracts and they just basically gave NBA teams the right to kind of write one contract off that they would help subsidize so that teams could continue kind of moving forward. Um, yeah, the Pirates have nobody to, to, to amortize off their roster right now, whereas the Reds, especially if there's no DH next year, probably have a Don't couple guys it. they'd be willing to do so. You Don't know? say so. it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I agree with you, Mo, that, uh, the Reds are going to have to get creative to fix as, uh, Bobby Nightingale Jr. said, they're gaping holes. Um, <laughs> and then he deleted that. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
shortstop, obviously, perhaps a couple rotation spots if Bauer and Disclafani don't come back, you're going to have to make some trades probably instead of signing free agents. Jeff, jump in here. Obviously, shortstop, definitely uh, looking at Andrelton Simmons. Really want to see them go for him. But overall, I'm, I'm kind of with Mo. Like Francisco if they Lindor. Sit, well, yeah, if they can go trade for him, that'd be amazing. But if, if they sit still, they don't bring back Trevor Bauer and they try to sell everybody on, well, Tyler Stevenson's going to be our catcher and we're going to call up Nick Lodolo and maybe later on in the season Hunter Green – that's not going to get enough people excited about this team because then you're talking about who knows at shortstop. And you've got to go out and fix that spot in the lineup. They might be able to get by without Trevor Bauer, but they've definitely got to fill shortstop position. When it comes to Bauer, the uh, qualifying offer was obviously just a formality. I've seen some people out there saying, well, see, the qualifying offer really sets up the Reds to bring him back and it's like nah, this is just them kind of covering their bases once he leaves they get the draft pick compensation that's what they want and he might get 30 well in a normal year he might yeah. get 35 million dollars but who knows the yankees might still throw money at him because they were talking about how bad their pitching situation was outside of garrett cole so they might just uh pony up the cash to go and get him but the Reds definitely have an opportunity, kind of like what Chad said in his most recent newsletter was, you know, just the money ball of this whole situation. And not to steal your thunder, Chad, but, um, you know, it, it could just actually be participating in the free agent market. I'm making Chad wait for last because you all keep buttering him up. Steven. <laughs> well, you know, it it comes down to uh, not so much a question of can or cannot it's it's a question of will or will not and the reds will not they they just they're not going to do it they're not going to go out and spend a bunch of money this offseason uh, if ever ownership has been handed an excuse to not spend more big money uh, it's this coming offseason will they sign a shortstop yes will it be a big money uh, i don't know maybe they go and get dd maybe they go and get one of these other guys and and fill that particular hole but they're Lindor. not going to go out and sign <laughs> that's too much money they're just i cannot see a scenario where they do it and i cannot see a scenario where they go out and sign a jt romuto i cannot see a scenario where outside of trevor bauer that they even make a play for another starting pitching they're going to look in the cameras and they're going to say we've got tyler molly we've got antone we've got lodolo we've got green we don't need to sign anybody and i really think outside the signing of some shortstop that can be a bridge they hope to Garcia, uh, I don't see them making any moves. I think it's going to be a, a situation where they just will not do it. Matt Kemp is available. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Maybe Skip Schumacher <laughs> could play shortstop. Shut uh, up, Wick. Uh, <laughs> Skip Schumacher can play wherever the heck Skip Schumacher wants. <laughs> Chad, sorry to make you wait here, but uh, jump in and uh, give us your thoughts on the Reds offseason. I didn't mind waiting uh, here to the end because I had to go in the other room and get some uh, headache medication after uh, after Mo <laughs> mentioned Walt Jockety and Rebuild in the oh. same uh, comment. That oh come on, I won't sleep tonight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to create more angst. I just I have a bad feeling. Oh gosh, here's my thing, <laughs> and and I appreciate the the kind words I guess, but um, someone is going to spend money this off season. Some team is going to spend money this offseason. And 
whichever team chooses to do that, that's why I call it the money ball idea, which is not, it's nothing like what the Oakland A's did under Billy Bean. It's just that the market inefficiency right now, this offseason, is going to be the team that's willing to spend is going to be the one that can exploit uh, the market because there are going to be so many teams that are sitting it out for good reasons. And I have no doubt that the Reds are uh, have suffered financially. And I, you know, it's easy for me to spend someone else's money. But someone's going to spend money, and the one that does is going to be able to pick and choose which holes they want to fill in their roster and get them uh, for you know pennies on the dollar. And my thought is just, why not the Reds? We've already talked about how you know, they're kind of on the cusp here, and, and can they afford to kind of take a step backwards? I don't think they can from a fan's perspective, but what does that mean inside uh, inside the front offices there at the Great American Ballpark? I don't know. I just think that if the Reds decided that they're going to go all in, quote unquote, they wouldn't have to spend as much as they would in ordinary off seasons to go all in, number one. And number two, they can maybe pick up some, uh, quote unquote, bargains for lots and lots and lots of money, but still bargains uh, com- in comparison to what they would get in a regular uh, free agent market. And they can fill up some of these holes that, that everyone's mentioned here today. I don't know. It just it makes a lot of sense, but it, it's going to require a serious outlay of cash from the front office. But I don't know. What a way to get everyone uh, jacked up about the season. And, and and my thoughts are, if you're worried about the money, if and when, put a winner on the field, and if and when fans are allowed back, they're going to come back in droves. But they're in we get back to the uncertainty of when our fans going to be allowed back. So I know it's not an easy answer, but I just, some team I think is going to decide, Hey, I'm spending money. I can get this guy for cheap. Even if it's just a one year deal, I can get this guy for cheap. And that may be the best thing for the Reds. Get a bunch of guys on one year deals and then reassess depending on how things uh, go with, with the 2021 season. It makes too much sense for some team to do it. I just want it to be the Reds. Do I think it's going to be the Reds? No, but it was, it was already the Dodgers. I mean, the there Dodgers signed Mookie Betts for three hundred and fifty whatever million dollars in what July in yeah. August of this year. Uh, like they, they, they. I mean, the Dodgers always are the club that does it. They, they did it getting Mookie in the first place, um, and they've already done it. Counting towards this winter, they went out and they have spent a quarter of a billion dollars on non twenty twenty payroll already this year. And uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's any uh, uh, coincidence that that the club that has been on the forefront of acquiring and developing players in a, in a manner that no other team has been able to replicate in part due to finances in part due to great leadership is the one that's saying, look, yeah, 2021, we might take it on the chin. Like we did in 2020, 2022, we're still going to be the Los Angeles Dodgers and we might have two more world series titles by then. We'll figure it out at that point. And it's uh, it's that kind of aggressive mentality that like, you know, like you guys have mentioned, it takes one club to kind of to flinch. That's it. I want to say something here to back up what Chad was saying on why not the Reds. I just watched the Cincinnati Bengals make an end season trade for, I think the second time in my lifetime and I'm 40. (laughs) Anything is possible in 2020. So it might be a trade, you know, Francisco Lindor, but I can't see the Reds sitting on their hands this off season. With even with the you know the pandemic the loss of money, I do, I th- I would hope that there are people in that front office that realize that they can't just sit this off season out. Other teams are going to absolutely. The Pirates are going to sit out. You know the Royals are probably going to sit it out. Tigers, teams like that. But if you're going to have fans, especially if you're going to have fans in the stands next season, 
you're going to have to have some kind of spark to get people excited. And not signing Trevor Bauer and doing nothing else is going to get people a little upset. Call me crazy. That's just my thoughts here. Anyway, since you're on the Hunt for Reds October podcast, we have listener questions. And I solicited questions from the tens of people that listen to use the hashtag Lindor2020 to ask some questions. And let's see here. I should have probably been prepared. Uh, first question. Why would you start doing that now? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good call. First question comes from Kyle Kapler. He asked, hashtag Lindor2020, who, who likes their favorite player more, Chad and Lisaverto Bonilla or Wick and Scoop Schumacher? Please feel free to discuss. Chad, I'll let you go first. Do you... I don't know where this uh, uh, <laughs> where this rumor got started that Lisa Alberto Bonilla is my favorite player, but uh, uh, I certainly like him better than Skip Schumacher, if that, uh, if that helps. <laughs> I'm sorry, Wick, but I'm on the Skip train. Oh no! I know the the Skip Schumacher love is uh it's 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 false projected love. It's um it harkens back to the 2014 off season, I believe, when the Reds were fresh off uh, a couple of uh, 90 win seasons and power straight into the postseason and winter spending period with a club that looked like they should have been pretty decent. And their one off season expenditure was two years and five million dollars for Skip Schumacher. Um. It's kind of an, uh, 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 an homage back to the Reds being the we have no money and we're talking to no one Reds, which unfortunately, as we've kind of laid out tonight, there's a chance that could be these Reds this offseason again. So, no, Skip Schumacher, uh, uh, much in the same satirical way that the Reds thought he would be the Band-Aid for all the problems through his grit and veteran play, uh, and that didn't work worth a damn before. Uh, that's me kind of continuing to uh, to poke that joke as far as I can take it. Well, well listen, have, listen, listen an ironic reason. <laughs> my reason is just because Lisa Alberto Bonilla sounds funny when I say it with my ridiculous accent. I will listen to you say Lisa Alberto Bonilla for the rest of my life. Well, that's right. fantastic. And that's, and that's the thing. People want to, Chad wants to know where this rumor got started. It got started because Chad says Lisa Alberto Bonilla the same way that Coop says King Cut Prime Rib. I mean, there's... <laughs> There's love what? What? And, and there's love in that. And that's why people say that. I'm a little bothered. I'm a little bothered that uh, whoever submitted that question d- did not want to know about my 10 year infatuation with Willie Bloomquist. <laughs> the key you know, to that playoff the run. acquisition of the 2010 deadline. Actually, the post deadline, right? The, they, yeah, out. he wasn't even allowed to field. Right. So Willie Bloomquist is one of my favorite all-time Reds. They acquired him like September the 14th or something. So they're like, you know, Jim Edmonds had gotten hurt. I don't even know why they got Willie Bloomquist, but they acquired him. Why too wouldn't late, you get Willie Bloomquist? Too late to be on, yeah, too late to be on the postseason roster. And a guy had like a really good long big league career. But so he was a Red for like two and a half weeks. And then we thought it would be fun as they're getting ready to play the Phillies. Like, well, we need somebody who could come on the air and, you know, break down these games because we were thinking, you know, long playoff run. Oh, God. Which didn't happen. <laughs> so we got Willie Bloomquist to like join us on the air. And he was going to come on, you know, every day. Uh, so. He came on before game one, I think the day before game one. And I mean, I'm not even sure he knew the names of his now former teammates. You know, he, he, um, he, he kept referring to the catcher 
Like he didn't know who the other catchers were. It was Ramon Hernandez and Ryan Hanning. It was hilarious. So <laughs> game one, they, you know, they get no hit. Don't need me to remind you of that. There was a day off between games one and two. So we call Willie Bloomquist. We're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, 320, you're good to go. He's like, yeah, I got to be honest with you. I, I uh, my, my buddy took me out fishing and I didn't see the game. <laughs> we're like, you know what, even better. Awesome. Reds didn't get a hit. There's nothing to analyze. So, so he was cool as hell. So, but uh, he left a lot to be desired, breaking down a team that he had been on for like two and a half weeks. So for that reason, uh, he's a cult favorite of mine. Rest in peace, Roy Holiday. Um, Wick, I'm going to ask you, do I make the joke or not? Oh, God. <laughs> I thought I had myself muted and I just got, oh, God, it after that question. Go. It's your. It's the hunt for Reds October. It would be. It would be a shame not to. Roy Holiday nine eleven himself. Anyway, um, that's that's awful. I'm sorry. He 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 seemed like a good guy. Uh, <laughs> Mo was about ready to disconnect. Now he's like, damn it. Um, Chad, how you doing over there? <laughs> Moving sorry, on. I couldn't help it. Couldn't Ooh. help it. Moving on. Woo the Reds has a question. Hashtag Lindor 2020. Why wasn't I invited? Well, <laughs> Woo. You know, I, did I ever tell you all that I found out his real name? It's yeah, a, it's actually it's actually Woe the Reds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pronounced it's Scandin- Scandinavian. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a Norwegian with the umelots or whatever over top of the O's. Anyway, uh, why weren't you invited? I did invite you in one of the chats and you just didn't show up. So, you, and besides, I've never even heard him say Lisa Alberto Benini. 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 It should be a qualifying factor to say Lisa Alberto Bonilla. Exactly. Uh, the, the password. <laughs> Lisa Alberto Bellini should be a cocktail. <laughs> I think it was a Renaissance painter. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Ram, I don't Ram. Shout out to Ram. He asked, Will all questions be asked? Yes. That was his question. Will all questions be asked? This is the this is the kind of content you get on this podcast. The the, the Hunt for Reds October listener group never disappoints. <laughs> never, never once, never one time. Uh, Can I chime in on that question? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so Joshua had a question. Uh, hashtag Lindor twenty twenty. Will there be butts in the seats come opening day? I think that all depends on how this virus goes over the next few months, obviously. My hope is that come April that, you know, this is hope and hope is not a strategy. Shout out to Chad. Is that we get this pandemic going in a downward fashion to where fans can come in the stands, even if you're wearing a mask, that fans can be there. I'm skeptical, but my hope is that there will be fans. What is everybody else's opinion? Let's start with you, Stephen. Well, you know, out here in Hawaii, they've just begun to reopen our tourism industry. Um, And the way that they did that was they placed uh, testing stations at the airport. Uh, You get off an airplane, you get a test, and you have to get one before you come here in the first place. I can see that model expanding to other industries. Uh, baseball absolutely has to try and find a way to put fans in the seat. So if that means, you know, season ticket holders with regular testing, if that means, 
you know, maybe they come up with a vaccine between now and then. All as I know is that Major League Baseball is going to be doing everything they possibly can do in order to open up the stadiums and put people in them. Will it be done responsibly or not? I have no idea. Uh, there's way too many factors to answer that one. But I know that baseball will be trying to do everything they can to see that happen. So if if it is limited to season ticket holders, uh, I'm going to ask Casey, shout out to Casey at Kentucky Reds Gal, who is a season ticket holder, to give me some tickets for some of these games. Hi, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Wick, your thoughts on bunch of the seats? <laughs> Um, you know, I, it's, it's, there are so many, um, you know, extraneous factors that they, they're going to go into this. I think, yes, there will absolutely be butts and seats, uh, on opening day, 2021, even if things are not significantly better than they are right now, because I think baseball owners know that there have to be at least some butts and seats just to make all of this kind of work. Uh, if that means that there are eight to 10,000 fans at each game and they are as spaced out as they possibly can be and there's concessions and you can bring in, um, you know, food and drinks and coolers and stuff like that to kind of do your own thing. Yeah, there will be butts in the stands if baseball is played on opening day, which will start at the end of March, start of April, the way it's supposed to. Um, will there be butts in stands the way that we expected them to be uh, this time last year? I, I highly doubt it. You know, even with a vaccine that could come in and uh, everything else that could happen between now and then, I just think there's going to be a little bit of a lag period before even, you know, the the most uh, cautious of people are willing to kind of go out and do this more than they uh, they otherwise would. Um, But, yeah, there will be butts and seats. It just it's still going to be hopefully not as awkward as the sporting events we're watching right now um, and maybe a little bit more catering to them or at least allowing them a little bit more freedoms while there. Um, but at capacity, no, I, I don't think there will be, unfortunately. Chad, give me your thoughts on butts in the seats. There, there will be <laughs> no butts in the seats on opening day because they're all going to be on their feet cheering for Bauer Lindor Woo-hoo! in the 2021 <laughs> champion. That's, Cincinnati that's Reds. I like that yes. kind of thinking. Jeff, jump in. I just want my s'mores fry box. Like, I, I was told about this thing back in February, and I've been hungry for it ever since I was told about it. Fries with chocolate sauce and marshmallows and M&Ms, and that just sounds glorious. I don't know why I haven't had it. but um, not, not to cut you off, but that whole bright field corner of concessions is the best in the stadium with the fry box. The you get to go over and get the turkey legs. Oh, my God. Anyway, it's, continue. It was it's the best it's the best thing that the Reds did um, heading into the 2015 All Star Game was was that yes yes absolutely the lo- I've the I've always been partial crazy. to the I've always been partial to the bourbon stand myself. Yeah. Well, that's because yeah. you're in Hawaii and you don't get it as often as we can. <laughs> See, now you want to live in Hawaii, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I'm sorry, we keep cutting you off. Continue. That, uh, that, that, I mean, as far as whether I think it'll happen, I think it will because I think that's going to be like as much as Rob Manfred talks about all this other shit. Like, I think it's going to be his main goal is to get figure out a way to get butts and seats in all games, like in all places. So I think that especially if the Bengals can have 12,000, I think the Reds will have some form or fashion of butts in the seats. Mo, your thoughts on butts in seats um we're at the mercy of a virus i i I don't know 
I mean, that that's that's the reality here. It's we're, we're I I guess so. I mean, we had 11,000 fans per game allowed uh, at the World Series and and during the National League Championship Series. Um, you know, obviously the Cincinnati Bengals are playing in front of fans. I know the Reds desperately want some people to come. Um, I, I, I'm more interested, though, in what the summer looks like. You know, let, let's face it. This is a business based on, you know, at worst, them being able to average about 20,000 fans per game, which is what they bottomed out at in 2018. That's, that's, what this, that's what this is based on, um, especially in this market. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one thing if we isolate opening day, you know, I think it's April 1st, if we isolate opening day, um, you know, will they let 10,000, 8,000, 6,000, whatever the number is, 5,000 fans through the gates. I, I guess that's a possibility, but are those going to be the numbers in the middle of the summer? And even if they're not, I, you know, the, the, the economic toll this is taking is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, so, you know, people's disposable income is not what it was 12 months ago. Does the person who a couple of years ago, you know, they were, uh, you know, going to go to five, six, seven games now, maybe make it out to one. Our business is going to be less likely to buy luxury suites, which are such a huge revenue stream for, for this club, enormous revenue stream for this club businesses, companies that have you know, eight, 10, 12 tickets per game, usually in the big money section, uh, you know, purse tightening strings being tightened that, that, that there's an impact on that. I, I'm, I, you know, are, are we going to be able to squeeze or not squeeze, but get 8,000 people in for a random baseball game? Probably I'll guess so, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering what are they going to get across 81 games compared to what they would normally get for the same team? If, if they were planning on drawing, you know, they drew uh, about 22,500 people per game in 2019, they were certainly planning on a significant increase in that. And I'm sure they were hoping that a big 2020 would mean even more people bought tickets for 2021. So you're already playing catch up. I wonder which fans they've lost. I wonder which corporate, you know, seat holders, suite holders, and things like that they've lost. And I, I wonder what the long-term impact of all that is going to be on this team. Um, I'm frankly more interested in those things and, and how they affect the club and, and frankly how they affect, you know, uh, my willingness to go to a game selfishly than whether fans are going to be allowed for one day on, on opening day. All right. Um, Ode to the Reds 2021 World Series, AS, hashtag Lindor 2020. What are your predictions for the five guys in the rotation? This is a little rough just because we don't know how this offseason is going to go. Uh, obviously, the locks are Castillo and Gray and probably Wade Miley. Uh, if Disco doesn't come back and Bauer is not re-signed, I mean, you're probably looking at a Mally, maybe a free agent or go with TJ Antone. I don't think they're going to start the clock of Lodolo and green at the beginning of the season, just because I just don't see that. Uh, does anyone else have any other opinions on who would possibly, who else possibly would be in the rotation that we can't foresee now? I think Lorenzen could be the fifth starter. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. 
He did he did finish strong last year after um, a couple bad outings to begin with, and people didn't like the nickname that I made for him. But it's okay. I, it was all in fun. Um, you could see like a piggyback situation maybe of Lorenzen <laughs> and then TJ Antone, or vice versa. TJ Antone, I thought, was the brightest spot of the Reds this season in terms of somebody coming out of nowhere. I mean, obviously, Trevor Bauer, Cy Young contender. But TJ Antone really was a pleasant surprise for me. And uh, I'm excited to see how how he progresses, whether it's as a starter or a reliever. I think he could do both. Yeah, for me, the uh, the biggest question is, you know, and, and I don't know if there is a, a binary answer to this, but, you know, uh, the kind of the uh, the talk was when the Reds went out and signed Cal Bode and brought the driveline team in, um, that that was a clear tell that they wanted to keep Trevor Bauer around long term after spending a lot in prospect capital and in money this year to, to trade for him and play him. Um, I almost wonder if it's the exact opposite of that. I almost wonder if they brought in Bodie and driveline to find the next Trevor Bauer um, and to not spend 30 plus million dollars a year on a guy who's 30 years old and heading into, you know, still very peak form, but not necessarily the, the upside swing of his career. Um, that's the one thing that I'm most interested to find out about. And it was when they first kind of got brought into the organization last year and not having a minor league season to really assess uh, any of these guys the same way that we always have used to, you know, been able to do is the one thing that uh, I'm kind of the most confused about heading into this winter is that I just don't know how to evaluate any guys that would have been in double A and triple A this year. Guys like Tony Santillan, who in theory should have been on the cusp of being in the big league rotation um, a month ago, but wasn't. And we don't know. We haven't had a chance to see how he responded to, you know, how his uh, 2019 season got cut short. Um, you know, I, I think the Reds are not going to be short for free agent options. Obviously, as we talked about earlier, earlier in the podcast, uh, they're going to have a lot of guys that you know might have been a little bit diamonds in the rough um, that they might be able to pick up for a little bit cheaper than they otherwise would have. Uh, I'm looking towards that angle of this because I think there's going to be guys like TJ Antone, who this time a year ago was a guy we knew and we'd heard of and, you know, seen ERAs and started with four and had been somewhat respectable, but didn't look at all like the player that we saw this year. Um, I'm looking to see who's going to be the next one of those, the next Lucas Sims, who discovers that, you know, yeah, my curveball is fantastic. If I can figure out how to put a little bit more spin on the ball, suddenly I'm the elite of the elite. And uh, I, I'm interested to see what else they can uncover uh, heading into this winter for sure. Absolutely. Especially like you were saying with players already on either the 40-man roster or in the organization, having an offseason to work with those players not just you know with Kyle Bodie and Caleb Cotham, who has been has gotten rave reviews from the players. Uh, I'm really interested to see what kind of internal options, like a, like how T.J. Anton, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but kind of you know really surprised a lot of folks. You know, perhaps perhaps somebody that would have normally been at Double A last year could potentially be the surprise of 2021. Who knows? A few more questions here, and we'll wrap it up. Ryan, who is sometimes on the podcast, asked, will I live through my COVID infection? Mm. Ryan got the Rona. Uh, no, you won't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> unfortunate. I, wow. uh, I, I, already caught, I, already, I already put dibs on his truck. Uh, he just built a house, so that sucks. 
but his wife will find somebody better. It's fine. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Get well soon, Ryan. Get well soon, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> Get well Nashville, soon. Ho- hope Nashville's treating you well, uh, aside from the whole uh, giving you runner. And yeah. yeah, I actually felt bad because I think I think his ki- couple of his kids got it too. So. Um, get well soon, Ryan. All joking aside, I mean, I, I I don't I don't really want you to die. Jesse Byrne, our friend from Australia, hashtag Lindor twenty twenty, has a unique question that uh, Wick already answered. But <laughs> yeah, I screwed his that up. Sorry. Uh, pick a number between one and twenty four, except for fourteen. Today is the Melbourne Cup horse race. The race that stops the nation here in Australia. Whomever picks the number of the horse that wins correctly will have my respect for exactly one year till 2021 Melbourne Cup. Good luck. Uh, Wick, you want to go ahead and give your number? Since <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I screwed that one up pretty pretty poorly earlier. I was supposed to keep it for the podcast. Um, no, I, I grew up in horse racing. It was part of the, the family history. It's part of being from Central Kentucky and all the above. So, no, the Melbourne Cup has always been, uh, you know, this year aside – it's been a very fun uh, horse race to watch across the, the globe because it kind of gives you that um, that sense that it's not just a, a weird niche Central Kentucky thing. Um, that said, uh, Judmont, who's a very large owner across the world and has a very large operation in Central Kentucky, is sending a horse back to Melbourne who's not Australian-based for the third consecutive year. Um, is a gelding, which is why they're still running at 87, but also is a horse that you know, you, you wonder why they would continue to ship a horse this far overseas that many times and they didn't think they were up to something or had something tapped in very well. So I'm going with the 11 horse, uh, Finch, uh, who's trained by Chris Waller, who's had a lot of success in uh, Melbourne Cup history and in uh, Australian racing for now. There are a lot of O'Brien horses in this race, Aiden O'Brien and Danny, who is um, uh, Australian based. And that's a very good sign that there's a lot of quality in this race. It's also 24 horses deep, which just let's be honest. It's like driving through a traffic jam before you even have a chance to run. Uh, so much like the Kentucky Derby, horses could be out at the very start. But I'm going with the 11. I'll be wrong. So somebody bet one of the other 23 horses to make sure that we might get a winner out of this one. But I'll go 11. Why not? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Crick or what? <laughs> I got lost there. No, that was awesome. We're going to have you around Kentucky Derby time. Come on, Wick. Man, uh, I, I can tell you exactly why a horse should have won but didn't. Pen- um, penis size a, of the it's horse? A, it's a it's a Central Kentucky tradition. Why not? Yes. Oh, I I, I only bet by penis size of the horse. I'm sorry. <laughs> the smaller, the better for aerodynamics. Chad, <laughs> what, what number do you pick? I got to follow not only that great explanation uh, by Wick and great breakdown of the Melbourne Cup, but then I got to follow you talking about horse penises <laughs> give me number eight in honor of joe morgan nice rest in peace joe morgan no Thank jokes you. there rest in peace uh mo what number you got if you go to australia and flush a toilet it 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 goes the opposite way right it goes counterclockwise do do horse races in the southern hemisphere do they go in the opposite direction like are they going in a different way Does, is that how it works I haven't watched or talked about a lot of Australian horse racing. And I also want to know more about shipping the horse. What is involved in that? Shipping a horse from, from the U.S. to Australia? They got big old Who's planes. Who's in charge of doing that? They got big and old then, planes. like, you got you to gotta run into Somali pirates? I mean, that, that just, <laughs> I, I don't, that's just, uh, 21. 21. Gotcha. 
the horse yeah, takes over the boat. I'm the captain now. Go ahead, Chad. Shipping the horse sounds like the worst <laughs> euphemism I've ever heard. As <laughs> soon yeah. as this podcast is over, that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> Honey, I'll be in the bathroom shipping the horse. <laughs> I believe a, a term has been coined tonight. Uh, this is a, this is easily a 12-hour flight. I'll be back later. I'm going to go ship the horse. <laughs> can ship the horse a couple of times in that time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve, you get to follow that one up. Well, I just I hope since he shirts is listening and they're on that. That's the next shirt that Mo needs to be wearing for yes. his, uh, for Ship his the horse. video. Ship the horse. That's right. No, I'm going to take number 19 because I always take number 19 uh, since shout Little up, League days. I've taken number Votto. 19. Shout out Joey Votto. Uh, it was my number first. Just let's keep that straight. Uh, number 19. Jeff, pick a number, any number between 1 and 24 that hasn't been picked. 24. Twenty-four, Kobe. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jack Bauer, but okay, that makes more sense. I'm going <laughs> to. All right, it's Wick. It's going to be another bad joke time. No God. I'm going to pick number three and hoping not it hits a wall. Doesn't hit a wall. <laughs> um. <laughs> Nobody's ever coming back on this podcast again. It's okay. Last question. Let's let's end with a serious question from uh, Bill at OBC2. Shout out to Red Reporter, old school Bill. Um, he has three questions, but I'm only going to ask one. Is Shogo better defensively than Billy Hamilton? Uh, let's start with you, Jeff. Shogo, is he better than Billy Hamilton, the same, or not as good? It's mm, a difficult question. I, I think fundamentally he's fundamentally, fundamentally, <laughs> fundamentally, he is a very good defender. You see him taking really good routes to the ball and taking a good hop, good throw into the cutoff, man, that sort of thing. I don't think anybody's going to have the range that Billy Hamilton has outside of Kevin Kiermeyer. But I, I think that they're kind of two different fielders in that realm. So I would say the same but different. Gotcha. Steven. Uh, defensively, only defensively, only defensively. No, Shogo is not as good as Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton did things that just left you on on a regular basis with your jaw hanging open, wondering how he got to that ball. Uh, you know, just his speed and his ability to cover territory out there. Uh, not only you know playing a great center field, but making the corner outfielders better because he just got to so many things that they couldn't. So defensively, Billy Hamilton much better player. Yeah, I mean. Billy had the range of a Jeremy Harrison uh, STD test. <laughs> Shout out to Jeremy. Oh. <laughs> wow. Wick, you get to follow that one up. Um, I, oh, God. Um. So for one, uh, you know, we got to watch Billy play as an early 20s guy. And we're seeing Shogo play as a 32, 33-year-old guy. So, you know, I wish I could say that I watched a lot of Shogo 10 years ago in Japan. But, you know, kind of get a little bit better comparison of what they were at, at each other's peak. Um, I, I think the best way I could describe it is if you walked out in the driveway and there was an eight-and-a-half-foot uh, basketball goal uh, and asked them both to dunk, they could do some really crazy stuff. Um, if you raise it up to ten-and-a-half feet, I think Billy could do some things that – Shogo probably couldn't. Um, in Great American Ballpark, that doesn't matter as much. There's not, you know, Billy was almost kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for here? He was kind of a little bit uh, um, fun. His range, his range was not as needed as much as it was, or what as much as he could have put on display. I think is what I'm trying to say. And if you saw him play in, uh, you know, in, in San Francisco or something else, I think he would have looked even better than he otherwise would have. I'm not sure you can say the same for Shogo. But in a small ballpark, I think Shogo's shown that he can do a lot of things that Billy could also, and so I think he's a pretty good, pretty good fit in that regard. But um, let's be honest, Billy ha- Billy Hamilton's the best defensive outfielder I've seen play for the Reds in my lifetime, probably. Outside of Eric Davis, potentially outside of Eric Davis. Come yes. on now, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on Billy versus Shogo? From 2014 through 2018, I can't tell you how many times. I either sent a text or received a text that read, holy shit, did you see what Billy Hamilton just did? (laughs) And I have not achieved that with Shogo Akiyama plus outfielder and, and certainly made his share of nice grabs. And, you know, I, I, I don't even know how they determine gold glove winners anymore. I guess it's all being done via metrics, which is the right way to do it. But I, I haven't studied my defensive uh, metrics for national league left fielders. Godspeed for him winning the award, but Billy Hamilton, during an utterly miserable time to be a Reds fan, still brought me a lot of joy. And I, I spent God knows how many hours on the air complaining about his hitting and saying that he's not the guy. But, I mean, he was immensely fun to watch. And I, there's there's been nobody there's been nobody who has elicited more of those sort of moments to me as, as a defensive player where either Twitter, phone call, whoever I was at the game with, whatever, we marveled at what we just saw Billy Hamilton do. And nothing against Shogo. I'm glad he's here. Um, it would be interesting to see what way he's used next season, but um, Shogo has has yet to do that. Chad, round out this topic. Sure. You know, I, I like Shogo a lot. He's the guy that I'm most looking forward to watching next year, potentially a full season, see what he can actually do. But, you know, what did uh, what did Sparky Anderson say about uh, Thurman Munson? Let's, let's not, you know, uh, let's not embarrass that young man by comparing him to Johnny Bench. And, uh, that's what I say about Shogo's a perfectly fine, really good, really good player from what I can tell. But Billy Hamilton is, uh, he's up there with Eric Davis. I mean, really, I, I, I'm the same way as, as Mo and some of you all have said. He did things that just, you couldn't believe that you saw. You had to watch it five or six more times. I, my, my love for, uh, for Billy Hamilton knows no bounds, I guess. So I'm going to go with Billy. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, greatest center fielder I've seen in my lifetime in his prime was Andrew Jones. Um, Billy had that kind of range. He didn't have his arm, obviously, but he had the range of an Andrew Jones in a small ballpark. Like, I forget who was, who maybe it was Wick that was saying that um, it's it wasn't as needed in a smaller ballpark, but if you put him in San Francisco before they've taken out, um, I mean, they took they took out the 421 in right center, but Center field in San Francisco, he's a gold glover. I don't know why he wasn't a gold glover in Cincinnati. You know, that's up for debate. But I think, obviously, uh, Shogo had a small sample size, but he's definitely a very, very good defender. Um, mostly in left, but I think he could, he could play center field in Great American Ballpark without question at a high level. I don't know. I don't know a lot about Shogo Akiyama's upbringing, um, but – you know, when, when Billy Hamilton was turned into a center fielder, I don't recall anybody saying like, wow, this guy's going to play, uh, play the position at a level that you haven't seen in a long time. He's going to be in the conversation for gold gloves. He's going to do things 
um, that you've never seen before. I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember it that way. I remember it as, Hey, this guy was a disaster at shortstop. He, you know, couldn't throw the ball. And so uh, kind of out of desperation, we've moved him to center field. And since the center fielder has to hit leadoff, uh, that's mandated for every major league team. This dude's <laughs> going to be your leadoff hitter, and he'll he'll be better than than Shinsu Chu. And in a very short amount of time, he proved that he was awesome. Like that that to me is the part that you can't you can't forget about. Yes, he was great. And and you know by the time he was done here, you know we would all say, uh, you know we would all speak very highly of of the way Billy played center field, but he was a converted shortstop that they just kind of threw out there. And it, it's, it's funny because when they tried something similar with Senzel, I would hear people say, well, they did it with Billy Hamilton. It's like, dude, that's doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's just, it's it, the transitions, not, it's not supposed to be as easy as Billy made it look. And so to me, that's, that factors into the equation. It was, it wasn't like he came up through the system and it was like, man, wait till you watch this guy in center field. He came up through the system and it's like, yeah, he's fast. Uh, we got to find out where he can play and it ain't going to be shortstop and then very quickly turn into a great center fielder. I, I think that's, we don't talk about that enough. That really is remarkable. So, so for me, that's, you know, if I'm, if I'm splitting hairs, I'll go, okay, well, you know, Shogo was probably training his whole life to be an outfielder. Billy came upon it pretty late and ended up being among the best that it was. Of course, if Billy had stuck at shortstop, he would have hit second under Dusty Baker because shortstop. <laughs> that's <so>. right. <laughs> and, and led the league in sacrifice punts. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll about wrap up this edition of the podcast uh we'll go around the all-star room here have everybody give their final thoughts and wick let's start with you give us your final thoughts oh my final thoughts are uh i'm pretty sure i made it through this entire podcast without saying an f-bomb and maybe just said a couple dams um kind of impressed with myself for that honestly <laughs> given where i thought we would take this uh no honestly i i really enjoyed doing this um it's been one of the weird years as we all know on all possible levels um but trying our best to figure out what the heck we just watched with baseball season and kind of doing our best to kind of segue into a 2021 season that still has more unknowns than i think we have ever entered an offseason with before um it's it's something that i'm I, I think about a lot and that i i, I value good other opinions uh, uh, kind of getting uh, channeled into my ears to kind of process about it. This was fun to do that in that regard, because I think we'd all admit that, you know, as many ideas and, and thoughts that we have on the topic, um, it's going to change. There's going to be major events that happen that, that throw all this askew once again. And uh, it's just going to be something that we're going to have to deal with, you know, with our own expectations and just kind of following it and writing about it and, and talking about it. I can't imagine being in the front office right now. You know, honestly, it's, uh, it's going to be something that they, they've got to have, I don't know, 5, 10, 12, 15 different projection models about everything that are going to help fuel all of this. And it's something that they're all going through the first time as well. So, um, yeah, it's uh, unprecedented times, but definitely good to talk some baseball and, and talk about a red season that, despite the fact it ended a little bit rough for what we hoped for, uh, was still, I think, on the whole, better than one that we've had in the last seven or so years. And so uh, with that in mind, yeah, thanks for having me on here. And it's been it's been fun, guys. Absolutely. Everybody go visit redreporter.com. Uh, subscribe to the Red Reporter podcast. Uh, this is not just me blowing smoke up Wick's ass, but Red Reporter is a great website. Uh, Wick does a great job. Uh, I am Thanks, old, I am an old school Red <laughs> Reporter from way back in the day. So there's always a special place in my heart for Red Reporter. And Wick, 
you've done a, like I said, you've done an amazing job with the site and I enjoy reading your content. Well, thanks buddy. I appreciate it. No problem. Jeff, your final thoughts. I sat down with a beer and I should have brought two because I didn't have <laughs> enough to make it through the whole podcast. But no, it was seriously, it was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, going to be an interesting off season to look at because we have no idea what to expect. I feel like we went into the last couple of off seasons thinking, hey, they're going to spend money. They're going to get better. That's what we want them to do this off season. But I, I think that the uh, kind of like Steve said, the answer, the the question is, will they? And it sure doesn't feel that way. So hopefully that is completely wrong. But uh, no, it's been awesome talking Reds. Going to talk Reds all off season, all during the season. And until someone tells me to stop talking Reds, I'm going to keep talking Reds. So thanks for letting me talk Reds. No problem. Follow uh, Jeff and the Locked On Reds podcast. Uh, subscribe. Uh, Jeff, this is this is an honest conversation that I had with someone, a couple people in a DM a few days ago that uh, somebody said, have you listened to Jeff's podcast lately? And I'm like, yeah, I listen to it all the time. And, and they're like, he is really good. Oh. No, that is Thank that you. is a legit compliment <laughs> that somebody gave you. And I just wanted to pass it on. Actually, I think it was Branch. You can tell Branch. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <Will do. laughs> no, you, you're doing a really good job. And, uh, Jeff, Jeff, you, Jeff, you sat down with beer, but you didn't realize we were shipping a horse tonight. So and that, that'll bring us to, uh, Chad and the horse penises. Um, Chad, that's the name of my band. Actually. <laughs> Chad, your final thoughts. Oh, well, Wick uh, kind of stole my joke, but I'm going to plow right in uh, anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, listen, I, 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 I listen to everything that all of you all uh, are producing and, and, and read everything that you're writing and really appreciated the opportunity to be on here uh, tonight to, again, ship the horse with some of my favorite people uh, on earth. Uh, you know, the Reds are frustrating and they, the fact that we're all still doing this after all these years uh, as bad as they've been for most of that time, I, I don't, I don't know whether whether it says something about our, our mental stability. Or, <laughs> um, but you know, it's still fun. I still try try to make it as fun as possible, and uh, I know that's what you're doing here with the Hunt for Red October coup. Just maybe for a you know a, an adult crowd. Yes. Now this, yeah, this is not for the the Pete Rose crowd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to get one last joke in. Um, Chad, Red Leg Nation, uh, listen to subscribe and listen. Many of you do. It's a very, very, very enjoyable podcast. I've listened for literally years, and um, Doug Gray, who is sometimes on, couldn't be on tonight. He was, I think, he had a free convention or something. But he, <laughs> he is sometimes a guest host on. Uh, Shout out to Doug uh, on your uh, podcast and very, very entertaining. And just wanted to say thank you for providing the content that you do. I appreciate that. Uh, Coop, uh, you're doing, you're doing something here. I'm doing something. It sure is something. <laughs> it sure <laughs> is. It's really something. It's shipping the horse here. Shipping horses oh, everywhere. Keep shipping it, baby. <laughs> I had a joke coming to my mind. That's just too dirty. Mo. Your final thoughts. In Australia, horse racing tracks go in either direction. Similar to driving on the wrong side of the road, 
Australia follows the lead of its mother country, England. However, there is a variance. It seems like what they do is they divide the directions. The horses run by states. So in Victoria, South Australia, Tasmania, and Western Australia, horses run counterclockwise. In Queensland and New South Wales, horses run clockwise. Wow. Um, it's going to be a, a fascinating offseason. You're going into a year. I think David Bell's going to be a lame duck manager. They've obviously changed some things up in the front office. They lost a ton of money last year. Uh, they're going to have the National League Cy Young Award winner, who's probably not going to come back, and and so there's going to be a lot to uh, a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss, and um, you know, I I I hope uh, I hope by by the time something like this happens again, where we, I mean, I'm sure you got me because you couldn't get Lance, but when when he joins you guys before the season, hopefully there's. Uh, a degree of optimism because you know the what, what I mean everything stunk about or has stunk about 2020, but there was just such enthusiasm in February and early March for you know what what this season could be and and you know yeah they we had some of that right before the season actually did start and yes they made the postseason and and that was really really fun at, at the end and it was fun to watch at noon on a on a weekday the reds playing in a postseason game that, that all that was good but absolutely um you know for me I, I i spent the winter thinking about going to the ballpark and watching a really good reds team and them being in a pennant race and scoreboard watching and all those things that we only got a taste of and so i more than anything I, I badly missed a, a normal baseball season, and I know we're not going to get a, a normal baseball season in the traditional sense, but I hope 2021 is more normal than 2020 was. I also can't believe following you guys and reading you guys and listening to you guys, you did this huge podcast and nobody talked about any of the TV announcers, which is great. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Mo, I, I just, I, 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 I sort of thought that's what we were going to be doing. So I was pleasantly surprised. Mo, I, I was going to, and then there's a drive left by Nick Castellanos. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, Nick Castellanos <laughs> trended for like four days in a row. <laughs> Not because of anything he did, just because of the power of that quote mm. being quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted. It was like, what did the Reds do? Oh, no, no, they didn't do anything. No, no, just yeah. Reds fans being Reds fans. Fantastic. I, I talked to uh, somebody who works on the TV crew, and I said, uh, you know, at some point, somebody's going to do an oral history of that night because <laughs> – you know the, what Tom Brenneman said and the way it was handled, notwithstanding, it's the most uncomfortable I've ever been watching anything on television, and that says something. Yes, uh, because knowing all hell's breaking loose, they're trying to call a game that I'm not even focusing on. I just I can't imagine what those what that time was like and and what was going through everybody's head. It was I, I did, a double header too. Right? It was game yeah. two. Yeah, it was game yeah. two in Can Kansas City, and. I mean, like I'm watching it with my wife and we're, I mean, every half inning there was like this, well, what's going to happen when they come back? Is Tom going to be there? Uh, I mean, it, it was incredibly bizarre, incredibly bizarre. And uh, at some point, the people who were a part of that TV broadcast um, in some way, shape or form have to tell that story because it, the, the Tom Brenneman piece is obviously very, very significant, but just how they did a broadcast that night, maybe as a nerd, that's fascinating to me. I think that story would be really interesting to tell, and I hope somebody who's not me tells it. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a 
That was a night on Twitter. Oh, <clears throat> that was a night. Ooh. I mean, I there's been a few of those nights on Twitter over the years, and that was that was that was the 2020 night on Twitter for me. Just because it was like you were saying, it was like he can't start the next game. He started the next game. Well, they got to pull him now. Well, he's he's calling the next inning, and then that, then the apology that unfortunately was <laughs> interrupted. Oh, that that's that's going out in history. Listen to everybody. Listen to Mo three to six p.m. on ESPN fifteen thirty. I used to listen every day driving home from work, and since the pandemic, now I have to listen on my iHeartRadio app. Oh, thanks, thanks. So download. Does it still work? It does. It okay, does. Good. Yes. All right. Great. Okay. Good. I, Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes they instead of the commercials, <laughs> they just play some music, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm painfully aware. Yeah. I'm <laughs> very well versed in how the, the thing works. So everybody, listen to Mo. Uh, tomorrow, you're on tomorrow, right? Oh yeah, it's the the big uh, election day <laughs> show where we're going to be talking to ourselves. So yeah, that's going to be. Be, uh, Nick Crawl is, I don't think he's joining us Tuesday, but we have him with this week one day, and I'm off on Wednesday, so I'm guessing Thursday. So oh, okay. Everybody, I think we have th- this. Th- this has been a process because he's <laughs> he's got two jobs now, so he's really busy. <laughs> <laughs> but technically so, speaking, if you if you do not get enough of uh, Melbourne Cup coverage from this podcast, you should call Mo tomorrow. Yes, and yeah. Filled in on on the recap of it at that point. Yes, there there is an entire website on horseracingsense.com about which direction horses go in <laughs> in each country. Like seriously, Canada, Saudi Arabia, uh, well, Germany, France, England. Uh, so there's there's a lot a lot of late night reading for me. Do they go underground in any country? <laughs> uh, I think New Zealand. Yeah, there you go. It's like the Tom Hobbit. says I should only go in one direction. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, Chad. Yes. Oh yes. God. So Stephen, you get to follow that up. <laughs> Give us your final wow. thoughts. Oh, Chad, wow. bringing the heat well, here at the no. end. Yeah. But listen, in serious coop, thanks for putting this together. Um, you know, I may not know what the Reds are going to do. We may not be able to predict what the next season looks like. But I do know one thing for sure, and that is uh, the Reds have the most solid group of podcasters anywhere in Major League Baseball. This this group of guys is always entertaining. It's always so much fun. Uh, I always learn something no matter which one of you guys' shows I'm listening to. So I really appreciate everything that, that you guys do and and for you know helping encourage me and keeping me going as well uh, while he's here and just the fact that he is here i think says a lot just about how supportive mo has been to the podcasters within the reds community so mo i i just wanted to thank you for you know spend the time talking with all of us you've been on multiple uh, of our shows you know when we're on you know when we call into your show you always uh, bring up the podcast and let us make in so i really do appreciate that and uh, i'm just really glad that there's just such a great group of guys uh following this team and supporting the team who's 30th on that list of podcasters in major league baseball because those are the ones that i'm interested in listening to <laughs> 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 Man, if it's not if it's not the Nets, it's got to be the Mets, right? Would oh. think so. Yeah, would, would, would think. Although they're happy they have a new owner, so they're all they're all probably the probably. the richest owner in baseball. Yes, 
yeah, Steve Cohen. Maybe the Marlins. There's probably like, it, I wonder if there isn't even any Marlins podcast. I don't know. Uh, I know they have there's a lot on Marlins, in the last but, uh, 25 but... years. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but yeah, Stephen, uh, thanks for being on the Reds Alert podcast. Everybody should like and subscribe. Very good podcast. Stephen pulls some guests that I could not ever pull in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Chris Welsh is ever going to make an appearance on my podcast for reasons. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but uh, no, but seriously, Stephen, you get great guests. You have great commentary and uh, enjoy listening to your podcast. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. No problem. For my final thoughts, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this podcast, the Cincy Sports Gallery. Uh, go see Cali for all of your big red machine needs. Um, anything and everything except for, you know, UK memorabilia. We're still working on that. Shout out to Ram at Unc Ram. I have to give him a shout out every episode. Uh, shout out to Doug and Phil and Jer for hopefully uh, laughing at the jokes I made at their expense. <laughs> uh <laughs> And uh, so for Mo Egger and Chad Dodson, Jeff Carr, Wick Terrell, and Stephen Offenbaker, and I didn't miss anybody, I hope, <laughs> this is Coop saying we'll talk to you later. Cincinnati, Ohio, Cincinnati where the river winds, the Mason and the Dixon line, and the waves for me I know in Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio.